have your Bibles, join me in James chapter 5. We are going to continue our lesson series through the book of James. The theme has been growing up for God. We have a little picture of a plant that kind of symbolizes that. Growing up for God has been our theme through the book of James. Today we're in chapter 5. Chapter 5 is the last chapter in James. So we're getting very close to the end. And today we're going to call our lesson, Patience Will Pay Off. Patience will pay off. Now, you have to remember through the book of James, in any book, there weren't any chapter divisions. There weren't any paragraph. I mean, there might have been paragraphs, but there weren't any segmented sections like we do. So James is simply picking up where he left off last time, which was a warning he gave us. So when he says what he says today, he's coming out of that warning. And I just want us to remember that, that that's the context of what he's saying today. And we're going to look at James 5, verses 7 to 11 this morning. But before we get to that, would you consider yourself a patient person? Anyone want to rate yes, patient person? Anyone else want to say they are a patient person before I quiz you? Yeah, kind of, Dan, kind of patient. Well, see if you can pass this quiz, okay? Uh, anyone ever heard of Jeff Foxworthy? You might be a redneck if... This is sort of inspired by that. I have 10, you might be an impatient person if. I know, we're all cringing at this. See if you can pass this test. A passing score maybe is like 70. See if you can get seven out of these. <laughs> you might be a sluggish, excuse me, you might be an impatient person. I already gave you the first one. Number one, if your high-speed internet feels sluggish to you, you might be an impatient person. Yeah. Did we already fail? Number two, if you've ever gotten frustrated while waiting for your microwave, you might be an impatient person. I have. Uh, number three, if you've ever switched checkout lanes in the grocery store and then switched back to your original lane, you might be an impatient person. Guys, I have done that many times. And it never works, right? Every time you switch, you think you're going to save some time, and it, it goes the other way. Number four, if you've ever tailgated someone on the road doing only five miles over the speed limit, any, anyone want to confess to that? You might be an impatient person. Oh, boy. Uh, number five, if you speed read your friend's Christmas cards. You, <laughs> I do. I want the gist. Give me the gist. That's all I need. You might be an impatient person. How about this one? If you greet your UPS driver at his truck door, <laughs> you might be an impatient person. Now, that's really anxious for a package right there. <laughs> All right, number seven. If you've ever pulled out of a fast food lane to go inside to order and then counted the cars that went through while you were inside ordering to see if your decision actually saved you time. You might be an impatient person. And I have done that on more than one occasion. And it never pays off. I don't know why I do it. Number eight, if you refer to email as snail mail, you might be an impatient person. How about number nine? If you've ever raised your voice at Alexa, you might be an impatient person. Come on, Alexa. Give it to me. And number 10, if you think Pastor Todd's sermons need an intermission, <laughs> come on, you might be an impatient person. Now, did anyone pass? You passed? You're not an impatient person? 
Good job. All right. Okay. Dan, did you pass? Okay, good job. I failed miserably. Miserably. Well, today we're going to look at patience. Patience is the topic today. Patience will pay off from James 5, verses 7 to 11. Join me there and listen to the word of God. James says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Patience is our topic today. As we plug along through the book of James and seek to finish this really profound and strong book, we began this book, if you remember, at the beginning of fall. It's been quite a long journey through James. So interestingly enough, we've actually needed patience to get through James and make it through. We've taken a few pit stops along the way due to the crazy things happening in our, in our world these days. Patience is one of those things that I often hear people confess at being bad at. I don't know if you would, but I often hear people confess to being bad at patience. I can't even count the amount of times that I've asked people for, what can I pray for them for? And they've simply said to me, I need to learn patience. Many people. Did you ever feel like the Bible was speaking directly to you about a topic when you read it or when you listen to a sermon? I'm going to be honest today. This one today is for me. Okay? I told you I'm probably not a very patient person. So today's lesson was primarily for me. I felt like the scriptures were speaking directly to me. So the lesson today is basically an outflow of what the Lord already spoke to me about. But patience is a pretty broad struggle. It's a pretty broad struggle for all people. When we request prayer for patience, it's usually for various reasons, all over the map. Things that pertain to our individual and specific needs, right? But patience is a general problem for all of mankind, especially those probably who live in America. I would say, generally speaking, Americans aren't very good at being patient because our entire country has been built to help us never wait for anything. Waiting is wrong. We don't want to wait. Do you ever find yourself like me? I already asked you this, but inwardly shouting at your microwave to hurry up for 45 seconds, waiting for your burrito to heat up. That's kind of the point, right? It's, we have this entire culture where it's trained us to not have to wait for anything. Uh, road rage, which I bring up from time to time, is at an all-time high or low, depending on how you look at it. My wife and I often remark when we're in the car together that p people seem to be the most impatient they've ever been. Anyone want to agree with that? On the, on the road, at least, we're most impatient than we've ever been. And you team that with the distractions of cell phones, we have a deadly combination, don't we? We have impatient people, and we have many distractions in our car. It's a very dangerous time to be on the road. But why are we so impatient? Why are we so impatient? We seemingly can't wait for anything beyond a few moments. And if we have to wait, we feel very inconvenienced by it. And again, I'm referring mostly to myself. And therefore, we need to let others know how inconvenienced we are. It's possible that we have become slaves to time. Time seems as important to us as our money does, doesn't it not? 
Uh, last week's lesson was kind of about money and possessions, and you could probably throw time in there as well as something that's incredibly valuable to Americans. Time is important to us. In fact, don't take my time or my money, and things will generally be okay, right? As long as you don't take any of my time and my money, I'll be happy. But why are we so impatient? What is it about us that we've almost completely lost the art of being patient? Uh, my children sometimes struggle with the concept of a slow Wi-Fi or the, the loading screen there, the circle of death, as it rotates over and over and over. And they can't wait for their favorite show to begin. But let's be honest, so do adults, right? We struggle with that as well. And I think patience is apparently in a pretty age-old problem because the people in James are struggling with patience as well. So much so that James feels he needs to address it. But today, patience almost seems like a foreign concept to us. Why would I need to wait for anything? Why? Why do I need to wait? Just have it come to me right now. In fact, you remember those old commercials? I don't even know if they're on anymore, but uh, <laughs> there was like this opera up there singing, and they're singing this phrase, it's my money and I want it now. You guys remember those? Called J.G. Wentworth 877 Cash Now. Give me my money now. I don't want to wait for it. I want it today kind of represents what we're talking about today. And I'm going to be honest with you. My wife has actually told me at times that I'm both patient and impatient. She's told me both. And she was lying about the patient part. <laughs> I think I'm a pretty impatient individual. I think patience to me seems, it seems clunky. It seems out of date. Almost like it's a vice. You know, like waiting seems lazy. Waiting seems unproductive. Waiting seems weak sometimes. In fact, did you ever get stuck behind someone on the road and you think to yourself, I got to get around this guy. I got to get around this guy. I don't want to waste my entire day. I'm going to get around this guy. I'm going to blow by him. And as soon as you do that, you feel liberated. You're like, finally, I am behind. I'm, a, I'm in front of that slow poke. I'm not in, inconvenienced anymore. And then we, who did I talk about this with already? And then you get stuck at the red light and the guy's right behind you. You ever have that happen? And you're like, hmm. So you've saved yourself a fraction of a second, but again, it felt quite liberating to do that. Well, impatience is a problem. Impatience is a problem because I believe it reveals a few things about us. Let's go through a list right now of things that I believe impatience reveals about us. Okay, What does impatience reveal if we are impatient? Number one is we obviously hate to be inconvenienced. We don't like to be inconvenienced. The word inconvenience means trouble or difficulty Cause to one's personal requirements or comforts. Do you hate to be inconvenienced? I find myself not liking that. Don't get in my way and I'm going to be okay with you. But I don't like to be inconvenienced. I'm not a patient person that way. So it kind of reveals that about my heart, that I don't like to be inconvenienced. Number two, it reveals about me, is that I believe I don't have any time to spare. I don't have any time to spare. I am crazy busy my schedule is so packed, so important, that I don't have any to spare. And it's kind of the same as money. We believe we don't have any money to spare. I don't have any money or time to spare because I only have what I need. I can't give you anything else. If you're going to take my time, there's going to be a problem. Number three, what does it reveal about us? Is we act, unfortunately, as if we are the Lord of our own lives. As if everything needs to serve our purposes. I'm the boss and therefore, everything should serve me. Again, at least for myself, that's sometimes what I'm thinking. 
Number four reveals that having to wait at all feels unproductive to us. That waiting kind of holds us back in life. If I have to wait, I'm actually losing productivity. And number five, it reveals that we believe nobody has ever had to be patient toward us. Isn't that kind of what it reveals? When you're impatient, you always believe it's everyone else who's causing you to wait and it never goes the other way. It's always them. It's never me. It's kind of the same on the road. As soon as I judge someone on the road for being a bad driver, I forget the numerous times that I've made people wait and I've passed people and cut in front of people. The first thing James tells us today is, therefore, brothers, again, based on what he just told us about love and the warning to the filthy rich, he says, do not let our wealth distract us or deter us from loving our Lord and loving our neighbor. And then he says, therefore, therefore, be patient until the coming of the Lord. So again, remember last week's lesson. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. The primary thing we are told to be patient about in James is about waiting for Jesus to return to the earth. According to James in the Bible, this is the thing we struggle the most of being patient with, for Jesus to come back. Now, of course, we can apply, we need to apply patience to many other areas in our lives because patience is a virtue, right? But James tells us there's one overarching event that if we have a lack of patience toward it, it will affect negatively everything in our lives. If we aren't patient and waiting for Jesus, we aren't doing well in almost any area of our life. Now, we could go down a few rabbit holes today and we could start helping each other become patient in our specific and unique circumstances. And that wouldn't be wrong. Maybe we should do that sometime. Those things that apply especially to our lives that you and I need patience for. Or, as James seems to signify, we could all get on the same page today and we could admit that waiting for Jesus to come back is what we are most impatient about. And I believe that will be proven today. Before we discuss how to become patient, because that's definitely here in the passage, let's discuss why waiting for the Lord to return is the biggest area we need patience for. Why? Why does James bring that up as his singular example? Be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Why do we need patience primarily in waiting for Jesus to return? Number one, because the Christian path is hard. It is hard. If you've been on the Christian path for a while, you know it. The scriptures call it a narrow, difficult path. The Christian life is hard. And doing hard things takes patience to endure it, doesn't it? Now, you and I can do, do hard things temporarily. You can kind of gear up for something hard as long as you know it's going to be short-lived, like moving or helping someone move, right? As long as I know it's from morning to lunch, you know, and there's going to be a good lunch to follow, I can gear up for a few hours of hard, hard work. As long as I know by, by the afternoon and by the evening, I'll, I'll be free. But the Christian life is hard, and therefore it takes patience to endure. Number two is the Christian path is lonely. The Christian path is lonely, and feeling lonely requires a great deal of patience to endure that. Now, you can have a lot of friends and family members in the world, and the Christian life will still feel lonely. There won't be a ton of people supporting you on that path. And I know you guys would agree with that, that you would say, I have friends, I have family members, but I don't have a ton of people who support me in the Christian path. And that's why we need the church. 
This is our support system. And if we don't have this, we are going to feel really, really lonely. But loneliness is another one of those things that it, it needs patience to endure it. I don't like feeling lonely for too long. Number three, the Christian path is dangerous. It is dangerous. And living in danger requires a great deal of patience to endure it. Now, anyone who has a dangerous job or ever been in the military, that has to be something that requires an immense amount of patience to endure because there's danger around every corner, every turn. And so there is in the Christian life. Around every corner and every turn, there's an attack, a possible attack, a temptation, a persecution of some sort. And it seems like the attacks just are ramping up in this world. And so the Christian path is dangerous. And if you're in danger too long, it's something you want to get out of. Number four is the Christian life does not give us a lot of instant feedback or instant gratification. And patience is required to trust that the reward for the Christian path is going to be worth it one day, going to pay off. Now, sin, on the other hand, gives you immediate gratification, immediate feedback. When you sin, you get some sort of feedback, and it feels good to get that feedback. But it says in the scripture, we walk by faith and not by sight. We often don't get to see and touch our reward. We just believe it's coming one day soon. And number five, the Christian life is long. It's long. Now, scripture does say we're here a brief amount of time, so it's a kind of a perspective thing. But again, if you've been in the Christian life to any degree for the last several years, you would say the Christian life seems long. And sometimes the end doesn't seem anywhere close to us, right? You guys ever been in the car or driving on the road and said to your parents, are we there yet? Or had your kids say that to you? Are we there yet? Sometimes I find myself thinking that to the Lord. Are we there yet? Because the Christian life seems long. In fact, I'm going to say the reason that most people don't stay with Jesus is because of lack of patience. Consider for a moment those five reasons that we just mentioned. Those five reasons are primarily the reason people abandon the Christian path. So, hard things. We can do hard things if we know it's temporary, right? But when time lingers on and the clock seems to wane and not move, we wonder if our journey will ever end. And therefore, we want to walk away to something easier. Something easier to pursue than the Christian life. It happens all the time. Uh, we can be lonely for a little while, but when loneliness feels like our eternity and our destiny, we often walk away to get the satisfaction of having friends and loved ones who support us and tell us we're doing well, because that's important to us. When danger feels like it's around every turn, we get fatigued and fighting and standing our ground, and we just want some comfort and ease. So we often give up following Jesus simply to relax our minds and our body. So we don't have to go uphill anymore. When we're not reaping instant rewards in the Christian life from following Jesus, we have to constantly remind ourselves of the truth that one day it will be worth it. While everybody around us gets that instant feedback, that instant gratification that sin brings. And many people abandon Jesus Christ just to get that feeling of instant feedback and reward. When following Jesus is a daily grind and we have to stay steady on the same path day after day after day, we're attempted to abandon Jesus because we're not sure we can go the same direction for one more day when the end seems nowhere in sight. Now, following Jesus was easier. 
if it was easier, if it was full of more loved ones who liked us and agreed with us, if the path wasn't so full of enemies and snares, if following Jesus gave a tangible taste of the reward to come. I said this to someone the other day, if we could just get one glimpse of heaven, right? One moment in heaven. Wouldn't that do everything for us? We would have the strength and the energy to carry on. If only, but we don't. If we didn't have to trust the reward without seeing it, and if following Jesus wasn't so long, it's so drawn out, but it only required a burst of spiritual energy, certainly today we'd have a lot more disciples of Jesus Christ, wouldn't we? Meaning, it's patience. Patience is the catalyst. So the Christian life is hard. The Christian life is lonely. It is full of danger. It does not give instant gratification, much of it. And it is long. And many people who come to Jesus do not stay with him because of those five reasons. And therefore, James sees an obvious problem today that we all are facing. And he says and he instructs us today that patience is required to endure until the end. And I hope you know this biblically, if we don't endure until the end, we don't get anything. It doesn't matter if you begin with Christ, if you don't finish with Christ. Because obviously, if you don't finish with him, you don't love him. This is the test of our love today, is if we will finish and endure in the Christian life. So before we look ahead into how to become patient, let us consider a few things we need patience for in the Christian life. I thought of 10. I'm going to rattle through these very quickly. These are 10 specific things we need patience for in the Christian life. Number one, we need patience to shake off those old, long-term sinful habits, right? That takes patience to defeat the flesh and shake off those habits that are in your life right now, and you're going, man, I don't know if I'll ever get over that. I don't know if I'll ever be different. I don't know if I'll ever be able to say I'm not this kind of person. It takes patience to keep fighting. Number two, it takes patience for our spiritually dead loved ones to come to Christ, doesn't it? That takes patience to pray and to pursue them for Christ. That takes a lot of patience. Number three, it takes patience for our long-term testimony and witness of the gospel to finally take shape in somebody's life. If you've ever wanted to do that at work or in your neighborhood, that takes patience. Continue to plant, continue to water, continue to share. Number four, it takes patience to understand the hard truths of the word of God that we often struggle with. Doesn't it take patience to know the word of God? It takes patience to dig and to claw and to wrestle with and to pray about the word of God. Number five, it takes patience to finally get an answer to those long-awaited prayer requests. You ever prayed a really long time for something and anticipated that answer and it simply wasn't coming in your time frame? So you had to continue and continue and continue. Here's one that's for pastors specifically. For pastors, it needs patience. It takes patience to see our church members become mature, to get on the same page, to get on the page with everything that we're teaching here in the Bible. That takes patience. I would say especially in a pandemic. <laughs> to shepherd and see people come and become mature disciples of Jesus Christ takes patience. Pray for your pastors in that area. Number seven, it takes patience to finally see justice come to the evildoers in the world around us, right? Often, David in the Psalms is crying out for that justice. Lord, give me the justice. Lord, I need the justice for the evildoers. That takes patience. 
Number eight, it takes patience to be rid of all the aches and pains and sadness in this life. Anyone just want to get off this ride, right? It takes patience to go another another 10 steps or 100 steps in that area when there's so much pain and so much sadness. Number nine, it takes patience to feel that the Lord is really on our side and he's pleased with our sacrifices. Don't you just want to hear the Lord say one time, well done, well done, keep going, you're doing well. That takes patience. I just want to hear that once from him. And ten, and this is the big one. It takes patience to finally see Jesus with our eyes in the kingdom of heaven, to see it one day, to see it and to touch it and to feel it and to sense it for our faith to finally become sight because one day it's going to. Our faith will turn into sight and that takes an enormous amount of patience for that to happen. So it's hard. It's hard to be patient in the path Christ has placed us on because patience is the validation of true faith. If you say you believe but you don't endure, you don't really believe. Only the patient soul believes in Jesus. Only the patient soul believes that he's real, that he's coming again soon, and that Jesus is worth it. Patience is the validation of our faith. So now let's discuss how. How to become patient, because James gives us a lot to deal with. And I want to look at four motivators. Four motivations James gives us on how to become patient. If we would admit It is difficult to remain patient in the Christian life, which I hope everyone would admit that. It takes patience, and that is very difficult to show. James gives us four motivators right here in the text that I just want to pull out and think about for a moment. And so here's number one. The first thing on how to become patient, the first motivation, he says, is waiting, looking for, and anticipating the promises of God to be be fulfilled. Waiting, looking for, and anticipating. That is something you and I should be doing about God's promises for them one day to be fulfilled. Look at verse 7. James says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Anyone ever been a farmer? Any farmers out there or have any farming experience? Well, we got an O for kind of, sort of. Mom lived in Iowa for a long time, so... Uh, I've never been a fa- farmer. I did, we did live in Iowa for a spell, but we didn't do any farming. Farming has to be a brutal profession. The more I thought about farming, the more I realized it has to be brutal for a lot of reasons. But let's take planting corn as an example. Okay, planting corn is something we, it was all over Iowa. If you ever go to Iowa, you're going to see a lot of corn. A lot of corn. Not many skyscrapers, but a lot of corn. So let's take planting corn as an example today, okay? Imagine if you can, planting thousands of seed of corn in lanes, in rows, however they do it, thousands of it. You just plant thousands and thousands of seed, and then you take your hands off the process. And you wait. You wait for the sun to hit it. You wait for the rain to fall. You wait for the seed to do its job in its due season. Imagine that. Now, for a guy like me, I want that feedback. I want that tangible feel. I want to know I'm being productive. That would be really hard for me, is to take my hands off of the process. Daily and patiently, you hope and you wait for the proper rain to fall, both in the morning and in the evening. You need a good amount of rain, but not too much rain. You don't want to flood the seeds. You also need a good amount of sunlight, right? So imagine the challenge of hoping it rains enough for that seed to grow, but not too much rain. You also need a good amount of sun for that seed to grow properly. 
Imagine that your food supply and your income relied heavily upon that corn growing in its due season, giving you a proper harvest. Imagine checking your fields every day, perhaps several times a day, hoping that the smallest growth has taken shape in that little seed. Imagine the rain is not coming for days or weeks, and you keep checking the weather reports. You keep watching the sky to see if maybe today the rain would fall. Imagine going out to your fields and seeing almost zero growth, days after days of waiting, and then trying not to become anxious and worried that the crop might never come. Imagine seeing little to no growth at all for weeks, but then finding out you only have two options, to keep waiting and hoping that your fortune will change one day soon, or number two, to pack it up, pack up everything you have, abandon your fields, give up your profession entirely, start over at a different profession because you're tired of waiting for seed to grow into a crop so that you could properly take care of your family. And number two for most farmers is not an option. So it means they have one option. Keep waiting. Imagine the pep talks you might give yourself each night. Okay, there's no growth in almost eight weeks. My cupboards are almost bare. But if I wait just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer, the rain will come, the crop will grow, my food and money will eventually arrive. Just wait a little bit longer. The farmer, he truly knows what patience looks like. He does. But I would say this, even more so the Christian, who patiently follows Jesus and his model of love and trusts that one day it is going to pay off soon. It takes patience to be a Christian. To be a true follower of Jesus is much like a farmer. And James says, consider that process. That's first motivation. Number two motivation is that Grumbling against one another does not justify our lack of patience. Grumbling against one another does not justify our lack of patience. Look at verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. You see, the devil, he always makes sure that you and I have an out. There's always an exit provided in the Christian life if you want one. Always. If you want it today, he will make sure there's an out and an exit for you. So in, in this scenario, you and I were tired, we're fatigued, and we wandered down the alley of blaming others for our lack of patience as a way of justifying ourselves. How many times have we done this? You know, if so-and-so wasn't this way, I'd be in a better position spiritually. If they weren't so divisive, if they weren't so judgmental, if they weren't so hypocritical, if they were better examples, I'd be more in line with Jesus Christ. Now, I doubt any of us have articulated it that precisely, but that's happening a lot these days. We're blaming others for our lack of faithfulness to the Lord instead of owning up to the real problem that we're impatient with the Lord and with his process for our lives. And James tells us to be very careful about this one. Be very careful. He tells us not only is this process of grumbling against others very evil and very horrible attempt at self-justification, because it is, it's also very dangerous. Because the judge is standing 
at the door, ready to open that door at any moment. Now, notice he doesn't say the Savior is at the door. The Savior already came. Now, they're the same person. But the Savior already came. Next to come is the judge. And he says, be careful. The judge is standing at the door. So I want to picture ourselves having one of those conversations we have about others and their failings towards us. Okay, Either inwardly, we're having the conversation with our own mind. Or maybe with a close friend, we're having it outwardly. And we're feeling quite good about ourselves. We're justified. We feel justified by the fact that it's not my fault. It's their fault. If they were better, if they were like this, I'd be more in line with Jesus Christ. And I feel quite good about myself. And just then, the Lord, the judge, who has been listening to our conversation at the door for some time, he's right on the other side of the door. Now, when I was studying this passage, I was in my office, okay? And I have an office door. And if you guys have seen my office, it's only a couple steps, a couple feet away from the door. So I was sitting at my desk, and I imagined Jesus being at the door just on the other side. Now, that's only two or three feet away from me. But there's a door, right? So if the door was shut and Jesus was on the other side, I would not see him. But would he be close? Very close to me? If he opened that door, would he be right there in my face? So in this hypothetical situation, we're having one of those conversations. We're justifying ourselves and blaming others at the same time. And right then, the door opens. And it's the judge. And he says, here I am. Now, what was that you were saying? See, the Lord, he hears and sees everything. Every single thing we say and every single thing we do. What would be our response to that if that happened in this situation? Would we actually stand our ground and say, oh, Lord, I'm so glad you're here because there's something terrible going on and I need you to correct it? Or most likely, would it be this? Our eyes would bug out of our heads. Our mouths would immediately zip shut. And we would know that what we're saying is inaccurate. And the Lord, the judge, would have none of it. Most likely, it'd be number two. James says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged, because, behold, the judge is standing at the door. Motivation number one is remember the farmer. Motivation number two is do not grumble against others as a way to justify your lack of patience. Number three motivator is the prophets required patience, and they had the hardest job ever. The prophet, if you guys know about the prophets in the Old Testament, They had a really, really hard job. Look at verse 10. He says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. James seeks to give us another proper perspective by telling us that our job to be patient in the Christian life is nothing when we compare it to the prophets in the days of old. You see, these prophets, they had the hardest jobs ever. They were told to declare the message of God's truth. And as a certainty, almost nobody would listen to them. Declare the message of God's truth, and as a certainty, no one's going to listen to you. You prophets just keep declaring the messages, and you're almost going to have a 0% effectiveness on those who you're speaking to. Now, that's eye-opening for a pastor who's seeking to shepherd his flock in the midst of a pandemic, where it sometimes feels like nobody's with you. Only the prophets... 
Only did the prophets have anyone listening and paying attention to them? See, not only did they not have people listening to them and paying attention to them, they actually sought to kill them. If you know the prophets, that's basically what every single prophet faced. Nobody listened to their message, and they came after and tried to kill them, and oftentimes they did kill them. So in the first illustration of the farmer, it would be like this, okay? Only in this scenario, the Lord tells the farmer that there's going to be no crop. You're going to plant your seed, but there's going to be no crop from all your planting, all your watering, all your waiting. Oh yeah, and when you go to try to plant your crop, the fields are going to try to kill you. The quicksand is going, the mud's going to turn into quicksand. It's going to try to swallow you alive. Now get at it, farmer. I mean, imagine that scenario, right? Go plant your seed, and there's going to be zero crop almost, and the fields are going to try to kill you. Now, would that take patience to do that every single day? That would take an immense amount of patience. And basically, that's what the prophets did. That's what the prophets were required to do. And James reminds us today that you and I know nothing about being patient until we encounter that scenario. I don't know patience as a pastor today like they did in the days of old. But you know what, too? Our Lord Jesus also encountered that exact scenario. He came with a message of eternal salvation, and guess what they did? They rejected him, and they put him on a cross, and they killed him for it. And while Jesus was on the cross, he actually said this phrase, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Does our Lord know patience? Does our Lord know patience on a scale you and I most likely never will? And therefore, James says, I think you and I can be patient. We can be patient when we remember the prophets. And we can be patient when we remember what Jesus went through for our sake to secure our redemption and our forgiveness. Three motivations. Let's look at one more. James says, those who are patient for the Lord are the most blessed souls. Look at verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Our final motivation to stay patient in the Christian life will come from a promise and the testimony of the saints before us. That patience will equal God's permanent and eternal blessings. You see, the Lord will always reward those souls who not only say yes to following him, but who never give up in doing so. Even when, or especially when, it gets very difficult to do so. You see, the Lord will always reward true love and true devotion. He will always reward it. And patience for the Lord, as I said before, is the proof of our love for the Lord. Consider, if you suffer long and wait long with somebody, you clearly love them. That's how I know my wife loves me, guys. That's how I know my wife loves me. She said she loved me 11 years ago when she stood at the altar and said, I will marry you. But you know the reason, the way that I know my wife loves me is because she's endured with me. She's put up with me. She's stood by me. She's been in my corner for 11 years going strong. So I can look at my wife and say, yes, you do love me because she's endured. As an example, Job is brought up. Job is brought up by James. See, Job in the Old Testament was a godly man. And in one singular 
day, Job was stripped of literally everything. Everything he had was taken away from Job. He lost his family. All his children are dead. He lost his possessions and his income. They're all burned to the ground. He lost his health in one singular day. And yet, Job remained steadfast in following the Lord. He didn't waver. He didn't seek to abandon the Lord for something easier or more prosperous, going, Lord, you're not going to give me this anymore, then I'm gone. He simply kept his head down and he trusted that obedience to the Lord would eventually pay off. Job is the testimony of someone who really, truly loves the Lord and not just the stuff that the Lord gives us. The question could be asked of us today, do you love the Lord or only when he's blessing you do you love him? See, when the stuff was gone and when stuff was taken away from Job, Job's love for the Lord remained true. And why was that? Why was that? It's because Job had tasted of the compassion and mercy of the Lord. That's why. He had been the sinner we all are. He had faced the truth about what that sin warranted, eternal condemnation. But Job had experienced the compassion and the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. He had received full pardon and full salvation from those sins and from that condemnation. And he knew beyond a shadow of the doubt that the Lord loved Job. So when God tested Job to see if he loved the Lord or just loved the stuff that the God gave him, what did Job do he remembered? He remembered the compassion. He remembered the mercy that he had once received from God through Jesus. And even though his own wife said to Job, Job, curse God and die. Job remained steadfast and trusted that even suffering, even suffering is good when it comes from the God of compassion and mercy. So now James uses Job as his last example of patience, and he says to all of us, you too must remember what the Lord has already done for you. Remember, when it requires patience, remember what he did for you. Remember what he showed you. Remember his compassion. Remember his mercy. And stand your ground, for the Lord still loves you even during the season of great difficulty, which we've all had recently. Can you recall today the Lord's patience in your life? Can you recall his patience in your life? Has the Lord been patient toward you? So many times. As a summary, patience will eventually produce a crop of eternal glory. Patience will keep us from being judged along with those who abuse their neighbors. Patience will put us into the unique fellowship of the Lord and his prophets. What a unique category of fellowship that will be in the last day that you can say with the prophets and with the Lord, I too know what patience was like. And patience will cause us to be the most blessed souls for the rest of eternity, just like our brother Job. And now we close with a verse we skipped over, verse 8. James says to us, you also be patient. And I love this phrase, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Jesus left us the job of not only believing in him, not only 
getting on his path of righteousness, but continuing on that path until the end by being patient in all areas of the Christian life. And James finishes this lesson really strong by saying that Jesus is coming again soon. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Sooner than we think. Sooner than we think. And therefore, we need to establish, ready our hearts to this path and to this truth before he does come back. So that when Jesus returns, he finds us not only not scurrying about and trying to ready ourselves for heaven, but he sees us steadily climbing up the hill that he placed us on. You see, patience is going to pay off in following Jesus. But only, only if we remain following Jesus. Now, if the judge is already at the door, it's what it says, the judge is standing at the door, maybe with his hand on the doorknob, and he can open that door at any moment. And the Lord can appear at any second. Do you know what that means? It means our path is actually shorter than we think it is. This is 2,000 years later and the judge was at the door then. He could be moments, moments away from ending our journey. Our journey could be literally over at any moment. It could be today. The judge is standing at the door. See, the devil, he loves to highlight the length, the difficulty of the path of Jesus. He just wants to highlight how hard it is, how long it is, how lonely it is. But the scriptures tell us that the journey is almost done. It's almost over. He's standing at the door right now. I want you to imagine if you listened to the lies of the devil and you stepped off the path, right before the judge opened the door. What a devastation to see how close we were to the end. It was right around the corner. And we lose every benefit of finishing our journey by giving up when we were so close to reaching our prize. And the question today is, who are we going to listen to? The devil tells us the path is long and, and it's too hard to continue on. And you're better served getting off the path and going to the world and soaking up some of those pleasures and treasures that you can have this very day. Go get them right now. Get off this hard and difficult and lonely path. But Jesus tells us the path is not long when compared to eternity. The path is not long when you compare it to eternity. And... It's not hard when you compare it to paying for all of your sins in the eternal fiery furnace. If you compare it to those things and you keep it in proper perspective, it's very short and it's very easy. Do you notice that? Do you notice the perspective change? Man, it's hard, it's difficult, it's lonely. And then you go, wait a minute. It's not long when I compare it to eternal glory. And it's not difficult when I compare it to paying for all of my sins. So who are we going to listen to today? Has the devil told us the most truth? Or has Jesus? Who's right? They both can't be right. They're both polar opposite things. Who is looking out for our souls today? Now, if the devil is right, we had better get off this path as soon as possible and start soaking up all the pleasures of the world as before we miss out. Before we miss out on all the earthly joy that we can experience. But if Jesus is right, and he is, then you and I had better remain patient in where we are so we don't miss out 
on all the eternal blessings that the Lord has promised to those who are faithful to him. Because eternity is a long, long time to be wrong. And eternal treasures are a big reward to miss out on. And the fiery furnace is a horrible substitute for eternal glory and having the presence of our Lord with us for the rest of time. Right? Christian, patience will pay off. Stand your ground, stay your course, and keep your eyes fixed on the Lord and your coming reward. Look at what it says in Hebrews 12. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's not suffering anymore. He's not rejected anymore. He's waiting on his throne for his church to be brought to him. I love the saying from Charles Spurgeon. I think about this a lot when I think about patience. He said, by persistence, the snail reached the ark. Isn't that cool to think about? By persistence, the snail reached the ark. Christian, child of God, if you persist, if you and I persist, and we stay patient, we will reach the kingdom of heaven. And one day soon, just like the farmer who gets up and goes out and gathers all his beautiful crop that did grow after waiting so long for it, we both, all, will get to gather our crop one day with the Lord and for the Lord. And we'll be able to look back on our lives and say with full confidence, patience did pay off. Our King Jesus is worthy of our patience, is he not? Let's pray. Father, you know I need this lesson probably more than anyone. And I ask you for help that you would allow me to remain patient and steady on the path you've placed me on. Not getting frustrated, not getting angry, not looking around, not seeking who I can blame. But Father, remembering the farmer, remembering the prophets, remembering my Lord himself, and remembering the promises that are to come. Help us all, Father, whatever way we're struggling with patience, to stay our course, to look to Jesus, and one day trust that it is going to end soon, and we want to be with him where he is for the rest of eternity. Thank you for this lesson. We give you all praise and glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.